Morning, everybody. Uh, my name is David Soren. I'm the lead pastor here at Renovation Church. Hey, I was out of town uh, a few weeks ago, a little getaway with my wife uh, for a weekend. <clears throat> and while I was there, uh, we went to church because I love to go to church. I don't know if you think about this. I never get to go to church as just an attender. And so I went to this church and never been there before. And the pastor was talking about money, which is everybody's favorite subject, first of all, right? <laughs> and he gets about halfway through the message. And he says, and now I'm going to talk about debt. And I'm not messing with you. The room got so quiet. Like, you could hear a pin drop quiet. And I'm sitting there, and I'm just kind of taken in the moment. And I just thought, oh, man. This is, this is real. This is hard for a lot of people. And I think what happens with debt is for a lot of us, it starts when we're young, right? And it just grows and grows into this long trail of debt. And for a lot of us, we think, well, how's this ever going to end? I just read this week, actually, that 25% of Americans now believe that they will never be able to pay off their debt. And you know, the Bible talks a lot about debt, a little bit on the financial side, but mostly it talks about our debt of sin. That is that our lives tend to create this long trail of spiritual debt, a long list of sins against God. And the Bible says unless something is done about that, then that's going to hinder almost every aspect of our lives. But there is hope. There is incredible hope. And we're going to get some amazing answers in God's word today. So everybody uh, open a Bible. If you need a Bible, there's Bibles under every chair, so you just grab it from the, under the chair in front of you, or you can uh, grab it under your chair if you're in the front row. We're going to be on page 805 today. Uh, as a church, we are studying the letter of Colossians in the Bible. Uh, it's written by a man named the Apostle Paul. Last week, uh, the section previous to this, uh, we were uh, studying what Paul had to say about spiritual maturity. Today, we're going to take a look about what he has to say about spiritual debt. So we're Colossians chapter 2, so that just means you find the big number 2, and we left off at verse 9, so if you find the small number 9, you will be right uh, where we were last time. Okay, here's what it says. Paul says, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He's the head over every power and authority. Okay, let's stop there for a minute and see if we can talk through this. So, first of all, it says, it's Jesus over everything. But what does Paul start with? He says, okay, in Jesus... The fullness of the deity. That just means in God. So you could read, in, in Jesus, all the fullness of God lives in bodily form. Now, Paul says this because, I, as I said a few weeks ago, he says, or Paul shared with us that many of the Colossians believe that Jesus was kind of like a superpowered angel. And so Paul is saying, no, 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 he's, he's so much more than that. He's over every power, every authority. So every time you see that, that phrase, power and authorities in the New Testament, it's actually talking about the spiritual world. So what Paul is saying is that Jesus is over every angel. He's over every power. He's over every authority. Jesus is God, and he was a man. The fullness of God lives in bodily form. That's what it says, and that is Jesus. And then Paul goes on to say something actually quite profound. He says that the fullness of God is in Christ, and that in Christ you, the believer, have been brought to fullness. So you have fullness and fullness. And what he's teaching is that the only way that humans can find the fulfillment that they're looking for, the fullness that they're longing for, is to find it in Christ. And so if you are here this morning, 
and you've been feeling rather empty. You're looking for fulfillment. The truth is you can't find it in another human being. You can't find it in the spouse. If you're looking at your spouse saying, oh, if she would just change, right? Or if he would just finally like pick up some of his stuff or whatever. It, you can't find it in another person. If you're looking to find fulfillment in your career or in pleasure, your social media following, your family, you won't find it there because you were only created in such a way that you will find that real fulfillment in Christ, in the one, he's gonna say in a little bit here, in the one who paid your debt. And see, it's that debt piece, it's our debt of sin that actually holds us back from finding that true fulfillment. So here's where our passage is heading. You might just see glimmers of it now, but here's where we're going, heading and teaching. So it's saying this, when your spiritual debt is paid, it's paid off, it's actually then that you can find the fulfillment that you long for. So let's throw that first screen up there, where um, verses nine through 10, so that's our first section, okay? And Paul's gonna explain in just a few minutes here that the way that we get right with God is to let him pay our debt of sins, and then it's the clearing of that debt that allows us to experience this fulfillment that we didn't know before. Now, this makes sense if you think about it in terms of financial debt, right? Okay, so uh, let's say you go out and you buy a new boat on a credit card, okay, and then you decide you're gonna remodel your kitchen on credit. Now, you would have those things and it would be kind of enjoyable, right? But what would happen in the back of your mind, it would be hard to fully enjoy because you know you're just adding to this long trail of debt behind you. But imagine someday somebody comes up to you and says, hey, I see you have a ton of debt. I will pay it all off. It'll be all gone. Don't you just feel lighter just thinking about that scenario, by the way, right? Thank you, imaginary person, right? But if that happened, how would that change your fulfillment in life? You go, oh, yeah, it'd be way different, right? And see, Jesus wants to do that for you, but on an even deeper level with your spiritual debt. And to those of you that are in this room that are already following Jesus, I'll say this to you. You won't experience that rightness with God, that fullness with God, until you more deeply internalize this truth. You don't just know it intellectually, but you more deeply internalize this beautiful truth that Jesus Christ has paid for all of your debt because of your faith in him. Okay, so the debt of sin, it it affects our experience of life, but it also affects our ability to change our lives, and that's what the next of our kind of three sections are today. So let's go back to the Bible now. Uh, We are in verse 11. Here's what Paul says. He says, in him, that's in Jesus, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And here again we see in one of Paul's letters that he is emphasizing how important baptism is. So if you haven't been baptized yet, this is a great time to sign up. Okay, now, If you are just starting to read the Bible, as many of you are, we have people who make decisions to follow Jesus every single week here. If you're just starting to read the Bible, I think some of the words and phrases in this particular section may feel a bit confusing. So let me start to unpack it and make sense of it, because that's what we do here, this is a Bible teaching church. So look at verse 11 again with your eyes. Paul says, I don't know what else you would look at, with your ears, of course you're gonna look with your eyes, I don't know why I said that. Okay, Paul says, you were circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Now, if you've never read the Bible before, that sounds a bit 
creepy? I, it sounds weird, right? What does that even mean? So let's unpack it. Let's make sense of this. See, the first part of the Bible is what we call the Old Testament, right? And the Old Testament is the story of God's interaction with his people, the Jewish people, until one day a Jewish savior comes. That's Jesus. Jesus was Jewish. And Jesus comes to save not just the Jewish people, but the whole world, all who would believe. But in this Jewish Old Testament, we read that God gave a special sign of his covenant with the Jewish people to their forefather, Abraham. And the sign of that covenant was circumcision. And so in Jewish culture, every boy who would eventually grow up to be the head of their families in their culture, every boy at eight days old was to be circumcised. And circumcision was a symbol of not only were they marked as God's people, but that they would then do as his people everything they could to remove the fleshy part of their faith. Now, Flesh is also this word that you see a lot in the Bible, but in the Bible it's used, again, because this is 2,000 years ago, it's a different culture, different part of the planet, right? The way they use the word flesh is different than how we use it in a purely like biological sense today. So when you see the word flesh or the concept of flesh in the Bible, it is this, it means this. It's our natural and selfish bias that doesn't want to live for God, but instead for ourselves. In fact, if you read the Old Testament multiple times in the Old Testament, God tells the Jewish people that circumcision is just a symbol of what he really wants, and he says that's actually the circumcision of their hearts. I'll show you an example of this uh, from Deuteronomy chapter 10. It says, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. And God's saying, what I want from you most of all is not just religious ceremony, I I want you to remove that selfish part of you, I want your heart. And yet if you read the rest of the book, what you see, and really, honestly, the rest of history, people mostly just settled for the religious ceremonies, okay? And they took their baby boys to the tabernacle or the temple or eventually today the synagogue, and they just did the religious ceremony thing. And we do the same thing in Christianity, right? People, they find a church somewhere that will baptize their baby, and they go through the whole religious ceremony bit, bit, but nothing is happening here with God, And God is saying, you're not gonna find me just through religious ceremony. And you definitely aren't gonna find the power to change that way. Because first he's saying, I need to cut, before we do anything, I need to cut off that trail of debt. And secondly, if, if we're gonna see change in your life, I need to cut off that part that is preventing you from changing. So here we get to the second point in the second section. It's when your spiritual debt is actually paid for, you then can find the power to change that you're looking for. So let's get theological here for a second because this this is kind of a deep section of scripture, but it's beautiful. So what it's saying is this. When a person says, I believe in Jesus Christ, I want him to be my savior, the leader of my life, God does a miraculous thing that allows us to change. That's that confusing verse 11 where it said, Believers in Jesus are circumcised, not with human hands. What that's saying is this. Okay, you get to a point, maybe it's at church or you're at home and you say, all right, I'm giving my life to Jesus. I'm believing in Jesus. Make it in my savior. When that happens, God comes in and what he's doing is he, he severs this selfish part of your heart. The New Testament calls it the old self. He selfish this part of your heart that previously dominated your decisions and it kept you in bondage to sin. That's why it says in verse 11, your whole self was ruled by the flesh, but now it says it's being put off. And that doesn't mean Christians are perfect, okay? Far from it. Because we still, that old self still calls out to us sometimes. It's like, hey, remember when we used to hang out? 
Weren't those good times? Right? We're like, oh yeah, they were. And the next day we're like, oh, so what did I do? Right? And we do that, right? Because we're not perfect. But because of the circumcision of your heart, because you're now allowing Jesus to come into your heart, Jesus is beginning to sever that part that used to have total dominion of your life. And you don't have to be conquered by it anymore. In fact, as a Christian, you now have power, you have access to this new power, the Holy Spirit, who allows you to get power over your sin and your addictions, the things that you never felt like you had power over before, you have power over in Jesus Christ. And I think this is actually critical if we are gonna understand how change works in our lives. Because a lot of us, we have things that we want changed. Maybe it's in your family right now, maybe it's in your marriage, maybe it's at work or just whatever, we just feel like, oh, I'm getting just crushed by the sin in my life. Of course, we want to see change, right? But how does it actually work? That's a huge part of this chapter, by the way. So we've been talking about it every week. But I think there are too many people out there, both outside of the church and even inside of the church, They don't understand the power that we have for change in Jesus. And so I think for most people, they think that the answer to change our lives is if we just try harder. Just try harder, and you'll get your life back, right? Or what if you, maybe we think, maybe if we just read the right book, maybe about families or something, or if we just found like the right podcast, then, then, then maybe things would change, or we think, oh, maybe it's just something, what if I tried a different diet? Uh, what, what if I went all, like, all, all natural? Or what if, uh, what if I just used a different essential oil combination, right? a little bit more cinnamon, right? Maybe, maybe I tried like a, a different breathing technique. And I, Listen, I know plenty of people, even in our churches in America, that are looking to change their life through all of these external remedies. And even in our churches, that's happening because people are only hearing messages about how to be a better parent, how to be a better spouse, how to be a better friend, how to have better time management, how to have more balance. And people are leaving our churches even going, okay, the answer is I just gotta try harder. And as Paul's been saying through this whole chapter, it's exhausting and it just doesn't work. It doesn't bring change. Why? Because for some people, they're still walking with this long trail of debt behind you, and Jesus, you just can't work with that. It's not gonna work until that gets cut off. And for the rest of you, change isn't really gonna come until you finally look at Jesus and you say, Lord, here is my heart. You ha- I'm, I am, I'm, I'm legit surrendering it to you this time. Take my heart, come in, it's yours, start doing your work. And that's what allows them to actually get in and start doing that surgical work of cutting off those old pieces of your life. But you won't see change until you allow that. And that is because the Bible says over and over and over and over again that change comes from the inside out. Where the rest of the world says, no, 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 from the outside in, just try harder. That's not true. It's from Jesus changing you from the inside out. Well, let's, let's keep reading now. Here's where it all comes together. We're verses 13 through 15. My friends, I think these are three of the greatest verses in the Bible. So I'm glad you are here today. Here's what it says. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them, by the cross. And here we see the third teaching of this passage, which is this. When your spiritual debt is paid, 
you can finally find the forgiveness that your heart is longing for. So here's what I'm gonna do. Over the next few minutes, I wanna teach you a spiritual truth that is so incredible. But if you've never heard this before, if you are unfamiliar with it, I'm just warning you here at the front end that it may even sound a bit offensive at first because we gotta get through some bad news before we get to some really good news. And if you have heard this before, I want you to listen oh so carefully over the next several minutes. Because the truth is, these are the type of things that Christians say all the time, like, oh, I know that. But as a pastor, I find that not a lot of Christians really, really deeply know that, especially when they get to the lowest seasons of their life. And so what I want you to do is I want you to listen, I want you to hear it, and then I want you to brand this into your heart because you might need it, okay? All right, Paul says, verse 13, that we are dead in our sins. And that's this truth that you see all over scripture, that from the beginning of our lives, we sin. And so we just grow this really long trail of debt behind us, so much so that the Bible says we are spiritually dead. We're like the walking dead. We are unable to save ourselves. We are unable to remedy this trail of debt. We've got a problem with sin. And by the way, the culture out there does not have a coherent answer for this predicament of sin that we're in. I mean, just think about this intellectually. How does, how does this uh, culture around us talk about sin? Typically, most of the time, when anybody talks about sin, we'll say something like, hey, people can live however they want. Each to each his own, she can decide how she wants to live. And I just wanna tell you, as a thinker, that, that is intellectually indefensible. Because no one feels that way. Okay, go to any news site you want right now, and I guarantee you're gonna see some article that's vehemently railing out against some public figure who went against some sort of code of morality. You say, oh, he shouldn't have done that. Well, what does that mean? Well, it can't be that we can all live however we want because that person couldn't live however they want. There is a code of morality and we all believe that. And so once people kind of get over that, they go, okay, I agree that there is some sort of morality, there is some sort of thing called sin, and then people usually land on the second false assumption and they say, okay, I believe that there is sin, but if there is a God, I think that he will take me to heaven because at the end of the day, I am a good person. And yet, in our darkest nights, when we remember the choices that each of us have made, I've been there, I think a lot of us would just flee in shame if other people knew about it. And in those nights, I think a lot of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we say, am I I really truly good? Could God love me? And even for those of you who have been Christians for a long time, I think we still have those nights where the devil comes in and he starts to just relentlessly remind us in our mind about our sins over and over, does he not? And in those dark nights, the devil comes in and here's what he says. Guilty. Guilty. All of you are guilty. Look at your sins on this list. Look at them. It goes on forever. Do you know how many lies you've actually told? It's in the tens of thousands already. Every greedy thought you've ever had is on here. 
those lustful looks at pornography, you better believe that affair's on here. The drunken nights, the things you said to your parents, to your kids, to God, it's all on here. This trail of debt goes on forever. And you will never pay for a list this long. Except for maybe in hell. Now the Bible says that when the devil speaks, that he speaks his native language, which is lies. The challenge for us, though, is his lies are half-truths, okay? And so there's like a part of that that is true, that we have sinned. All of us, we've, we've messed up. We've done wrong things. And yet the question for your mind is not what does the devil think of it. The question is what does Jesus Christ, the Son of God, think of it? How did Jesus Christ respond to our sin? I want you to just hold this Bible in your hands right now because these, these are the words of life, right? These are the words of eternal life because we've got to see the truth, okay? Because maybe you're hearing this for the first time or some of you, you just need to hear this in your heart again because you lately, you've been speaking to your heart like the devil would talk to your heart about sin. But look at the truth. Okay, look at the first part of verse 13. It says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive, with Christ. You know what that means? This is when you were dead. So that means that Jesus Christ saw all of your sin first. He saw, he read it all. And then he offered to make you alive. That's incredible. Keep reading the truth now. Listen to the truth in your ears and your heart. It says he forgave us all our sins having canceled the charge of legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. That's this, by the way. This is the charge of legal indebtedness, as the Bible would say. It's a list. It's the evidence of our sins that we, you and I, we're not perfect. We have sinned against a high God in his holy court. And the evidence right there, it stands against us and it condemns us. But what does the Bible say? It says, for those who believe in faith, Jesus has canceled it canceled it. Whoa. How? How? It's not how a lot of people think. I think a lot of people think, well, he, he, I don't know, he saw me kind of get my life back, and that's not what it says. I think many Americans think that God is like elf on a shelf. Okay? And they think, it's almost like there's another list of good deeds down this aisle, and they think, okay, if I kind of get back and I get my good deeds list longer than my bad deeds list, then I will earn the gift, that Christmas of salvation. And I just want to tell you that is a pathetic version of God. And yet that's how most Americans think of it. If I just do good enough, he'll love me. I am telling you what the Bible says, even though it starts with bad news, what the Bible says is infinitely more beautiful than that. See, because what the word of God says is that God, in his love, he saw the length of your list. And he saw that you were dead in your sins. And yet he was still willing to cancel them all through the cross. And the cross is necessary, by the way. Somebody's got to pay for this long list of sins. Justice must be served. Let's just put on our, our logic caps for a second, right? Like, think of it this way. Okay, if your neighbor 
He's on his lawnmower, and he knocks your, your fence down on accident. You can go over to your neighbor, and you can say, hey, I don't know if it was an accident or not. They're like, well, actually, I was kind of mad at you or whatever. Let's say, let's say they come over to you, and you're talking to them, and you say, it's okay. I forgive you. It doesn't just stop there, right? Because somebody always incurs the cost of an incident. Even if you've forgiven them, you're still gonna have to like, go to Home Depot and pay for a new fence, right? And likewise, sin always incurs a cost to be made right. And so this is what verse 14 is teaching. It's teaching that Jesus Christ came over and he looked at your list right here. And he said, this is the truth. This is your list. And it goes on and on and on. We get to this moment right here. Here's today. He says, I've seen it all. And the Bible says he saw it all and then he decided to cancel it. And what does it say? How did he cancel it? It says he canceled it by nailing it to the cross. What's crazy is this act, it echoes. It echoes through history in so many small and big and beautiful ways. You can see it everywhere. You know, even if you were to go to like, say a small cafe, and you're paying for your meal at the end of the meal, and you get to the cash register, and next to the cash register, you ever see where they have like that metal spike, it almost looks like a nail? You pay for your meal, what do they do? They take your meal ticket, your receipt, and they stick it right on the nail. Why? Well, because it's done, it's paid for, it's finished. You know, in the old banking systems 200 years ago, what they used to do is they would drive a nail right through a banknote as soon as it was cashed, because it was done, it was paid for, it was finished, no more indebtedness. And see, on the cross, Jesus Christ lets your long trail of debt be nailed to himself. Done, paid for, finished, forgiven. And so to the Christians in the room, I pray, my prayer this week has been that this truth from the word of God is seeping deeply into your hearts and that you remember this, that you remember that Jesus Christ not only disarmed the power of the enemy, as verse 15 says, but it actually disarms the enemy's arguments over your life. And so next time those thoughts come back in your head, because they do, let's just be honest, okay? This is not a church where we all pretend to be really awesome and really good. We mess up, we're human beings. And when we mess up, what happens is that voice comes back in our head and it says, you know what? You're disgusting. This is gonna happen to you, maybe in a week, maybe in a month, maybe in a year. It's gonna come in and the enemy's gonna say, you're disgusting. He's gonna say, you're, <laughs> you're an embarrassment. You know, the word of God says that the enemy isn't, the devil is an accuser. And he's gonna say, I, you call yourself a Christian, right? I mean, you're never gonna change. And I know you think God loves you, but not like this. Not when you live like this, he doesn't. He doesn't. And listen, I would say what you need to do 
Now that you know the truth, you need to say to that enemy, in the name of Jesus, you shut your mouth. Because the word of God tells me in Colossians that my Jesus has made me alive. That my Jesus has canceled my debt. My Jesus has nailed it to the cross. It is done, it is paid for, it is finished. I am forgiven, I am loved, I am a child of God, so shut your mouth, I'm walking in this truth. This is who he is. This is why truth matters. Because it affects our heart. It affects how we walk out everything. And I would just say to those of you that maybe you're, maybe you're here and this is just hitting you in a totally different way. And you've heard before like, oh, God loves you. And that's like a, just sort of like a general nicety. But you're understanding like, oh, okay. no, he actually really, really loves me. Like he saw it all and would have it nailed to himself. He loves me. I want you to know that you can make a decision to have Jesus pay for your debt of sin and he will forgive it. No matter how long the trail of debt is in your life, he will pay for it all. And part of what that means is then you don't have to pay for it because remember our logic, someone always incurs the debt of sin. They pay for it, right? And what the Bible teaches is it's either we pay for it in hell for all of eternity for our sins or we believe in Jesus and we get to spend all of eternity in heaven with him. By the way, that's the greatest trade of all of history. And Jesus says, I don't need you to first get your life together first. I just need you to trust how much I love you and I will pay it and we'll start walking together. It's that simple. And so if you need to make that decision today, I urge you to make it today. If you're just starting to think about it, then that's okay too. Just keep coming, keep seeking him and I trust that you'll see the goodness of it, okay? But if you need to make that decision today, and some of you have just been working towards that, then make it today. What we're gonna do here is we're gonna sing a song of worship. So let's just do this. Let's have everybody stand right now, because we wanna worship together, church. We don't just wanna sing songs. We wanna worship and praise God. If that's who he is, then we gotta praise him, okay? And so I'm gonna invite the band back on, and we're gonna sing this last song. And if you need to make a decision for Christ, after the song, I'll give you an opportunity to do that. For everyone else, let's just worship him that he would pay our debt. Lord, we, we, we pray and we praise you now as we begin to just prepare our hearts back for worship. Oh Lord, would you just hear the praise of our hearts? We are so thankful that you would see everything that we've done. And not only just say, I forgive you, but pay for it, God. You paid our debt. You brought us to life. And we just praise you now and we thank you in our worship. Do you know me pray? Amen.